This year, a Dallas theater classic is going from stage to screen. Pegasus Theater has been producing original and one-of-a-kind comedies in Dallas and the Dallas area since 1985. The screen is an appropriate move for the Pegasus because their signature style is like nothing you've seen, not since the black and white films from the golden age of Hollywood. I'm talking with some of the creatives behind A Trifle Dead, the movie, plus the brains behind their brand new board game, Curtains. How many other theaters do you know have their own board game? Come on, how cool is that? You're listening to Downstage Dallas. I'm going to introduce each of you by your title, then please go ahead and tell me your name and tell us hi so that we can put a name with the voice. First, the production manager and stage manager of A Trifle Dead. Hi, I'm Christian Schmoker. Then one of the stars of the show playing Pamela Stone. Hi, I'm Alex Moore. Thanks for having me. And finally, the playwright and artistic director of Pegasus Theater. Hi, I'm Kurt Kleinman. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for all of you for taking some time tonight to chat with me. I hope that I'm kind of preaching to the choir here to, to DFW theater fans about what the black and white technique is of the Pegasus Theater because it's such a it's such a signature thing that you've been doing for so many years. But Kurt, if if people are not familiar with it, explain to me, what is your black and white signature technique? Okay, well, what it, what it is, is we take a script that I've written, uh, and it, it's written with the, the black and white technique in mind, and the idea is that we're recreating a 1930s, 1940s black and white movie live on stage. So all of the costumes are rendered in shades of black, white, and gray, the set is painted in shades of black, white, and gray. Even the actor's skin, and that's the hard part, is rendered in shades of gray to create the impression that you're watching an old black and white movie. And I understand after about five or 10 minutes of sitting in the audience and watching, you, your eyes flatten the image in front of you and it looks even more two-dimensional at that point, like a film. Have, have people watching before actually been tricked into thinking that they were watching it through some sort of curtain, through some sort of filter? Oh, absolutely. And that's one reason why we have at the end of every, at the end of every play, at the end of every production, we have uh, what we call the lady in red come out for something we, we term the amazing color demonstration. And we do that to demonstrate that we're not doing this with mirrors. We're not doing it with some sort of you know, hocus pocus, but it is theater magic. And uh, that's why we do it. And that was an accident, by the way, that we discovered that. We didn't used to do it. And then we had occasion for an audience member to come up on stage at the end of our curtain call. And we could hear the audience reaction when this person who was not in anything particularly bright came on stage with us. So we decided to start doing it on purpose and we brought out the lady in red 
and that's that's been going on for about 30 years so tr the tradition of the lady in red happened because you could just hear the audible shock from the people in the audience that uh, absolutely after after for, of seeing color after an hour or so of, of seeing everything yeah. black and white yeah well this time around your signature black and white look is is going to the screen your next yeah. production a trifle dead the movie premiering um january 8th you've actually written 19 of these black and white shows right and so you you cycle through them on a given season is that right uh we occasionally go back to the vault and bring one out we did one last year that uh, was called the color of death and that's one that i wrote back uh in uh, in 2000 uh around the y2k issue so time became an element of the show but as the name implies color became an important aspect because it's the only three act black and white play that i've written and that's because the second act is in color except Ooh. for harry nigel and foster they're still in black and white speaking of harry nigel and foster Again, you've written 19 of these. Do they all, tell me about your main characters. Do, do all of these follow the, the, the same main characters? Yeah, it's, it's the, the plays chronicle their adventures over the years. Uh, Harry is a, a would-be actor turned would-be detective. He hires Nigel to be his best friend um, and his, his confidant. And then they're always coming up against Lieutenant Foster of the real police. And Hunsacker is a thorn in the side of Lieutenant Foster because he somehow always manages to come out on top at the end. And that vexes Foster because he knows that he's dealing with an amateur and he's a professional. He respects Nigel because he thinks Nigel would be a pretty good detective, but, you know, not Harry. A little bit of the uh, Sherlock Holmes vibe with Dr. Watson. Exactly. It's, it's the reverse of that because I, I was so annoyed when I saw those films with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce that they had taken the character of Dr. Watson and turned him into a bumbling idiot. I thought I just reversed the situation and made the bumbling idiot the main detective and made the brilliant assistant and that's where the name Nigel came from. It's a nod to Nigel Bruce. Let me turn one question to you, Alex. This is not, uh, this is not your first time doing this at all. You're usually piling on the makeup, though, to do this show. Did you use makeup this time around? Or was this, is it recorded in black and white? Or did you actually wear the black and white makeup? Uh, no, this, this is going to be, I think, my eighth production, at least the, the winter black and white. So I've been with Pegasus for God, almost a decade now. Oh, math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't even worry about it. It's 2020. We don't right? do math anymore. <laughs> um, for this one, uh, we did film it uh, in color, was, and it will be filtered into black and white because it would be incredibly expensive to do that. Um, 
but I mean, for, for the women especially, we still have to carry that 1930s, 1940s vibe. And vintage makeup and vintage hairstyles are still incredibly intricate and choreographed. So it takes a, a deft hand and some YouTube uh, tutorials to get those eyebrows just right in color. <laughs> oh, absolutely. What about, um, what about uh, I'm thinking of like the characterization, is this, are, do we have accents, American accents, British accents, transatlantic, uh, what are we, we talking about? We, we do transatlantic. I mean, oh, okay. we all sound like Catherine Hepburn at one time or another. And the, it's, it's, I think Family Guy made a joke of it called uh, fast talking, high-waisted pants. <laughs> I was like, yeah, so is your old man. Well, that's horse fellas and blah, 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 blah. So you kind of get that, that really quick um, Cagney-esque uh, rapid fire patter. Um, but we, you still have to slow it down so your audience can understand it. Because I remember, we were, Kurt, what were we watching? Angels with Dirty Faces? Yes. Yeah. And Cagney in it. And the, this kid who, who played a young Cagney when they're growing up together. Um, he's kind of the bad boy. And then his friend becomes a, a priest or something. And even then, like, expecting it. Like, it's like, okay, I know that's, I know that's the vocal pattern and you kind of switch your brain into that mode. But even then I'm like, I can't understand a word he's saying. It's like, do I need subtitles? What am I hearing? And it's amazing that, that uh, the American experience with media has changed so much to, to have us to slow down and, and um, be a bit more audible and, and uh, succinct and distinct in our language these yes, days. Yes, to actually be understood. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, like- but What a concept. Why films were so short then. They were only like 70 minutes long because they're just talking a mile a minute. Which is what we've done now just with like Gilmore Girls and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. How many words can we fit into one single minute? Let me throw one question to you, Christian. Was this, was this, filmed on stage at the Eisman where the show is usually done or was it on a set? Where was this? Um, so we used the, there's a green screen space that's set up for um, local theaters at, at theater three, if people are familiar with that, with that location in Dallas. Um, and they have constructed a kind of a, I guess like a corner of a room that's got like a 16 foot tall green screen um, that we utilized. It was a bit challenging to cram what would normally be like a 60 foot wide stage into a 10 by 10 box. Um, you know, with film, you can kind of trick people by changing the camera angle and things like that. Um, and I know that there's going to be some editing to try to give people a sense of the actual location that was photographed to uh, provide the background images and everything for our show. Um, but uh, we, we did everything in a green screen. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. What is, what, what's in the green screen then? I'm curious about the, the set design. Um, so we did, uh, our, our photography director, um, uh, Mark Rouse, went to the, the, I guess it's over there in the Arboretum. What's the name of the, what's the name of the building, Kurt? I can't remember. The, the Gallier House Library. Mm-hmm. And he, so he went to the Degalier house and took a lot of uh, photography uh, or a lot of photographs um, uh, and some panoramic shots of the, of the room and the space. And the idea is that we would uh, 
basically take the measurements of the furniture in that room and then use uh, placeholder furniture also covered in green fabric when we needed to or chairs that match the style of the room, things like that, um, to try to recreate that space uh, virtually uh, in the green screen area. So uh, it, I think it was a, a, a unique challenge um, for both the um, the cast and the director um, to try to get their minds wrapped around what that was going to look like. Um, and I think it'll also be, uh, it's also been kind of a unique challenge for, for Mark to edit and stitch all that stuff together and make the treatment, you know, look good and make it feel like you're in the space uh, whenever you're watching the film. For sure. I can't wait to see it because I, I have a, a little bit of video editing experience myself and I, I know how difficult it is to try to edit something with green screen. So hats off to him if he listens to this. That is, that's a challenge and that is very, um, very impressive to be able to, to do well with a green screen. But I think, th I think that's really cool that the pictures are from a, a, a Dallas icon even um, mm -hmm. rather than being some sort of stock imagery which could have probably possibly been easily found so it's that makes it even more interesting that you get your own little piece of um dallas landscaping in your scenery i love that i think it helps to to give people a sense of um like a place uh, which is important for people coming in from theater um, acting and then moving into a film setting, uh, you know, walking into a green screen set, having never been there before. I mean, I, I know that there are some people in our cast that have experience with that, but there are plenty of people who don't. Uh, I myself had never worked in a green screen set before um, doing this. So having the furniture and kind of a pictures and stuff so you can sort of imagine where you are in that space helped a lot, I think, uh, to get everybody in the right headspace when they were on stage. Good point. Which um, makes me think of your, makes me think to ask of your rehearsal process. What did, did you rehearse on this set or did you rehearse on um, Zoom? Sort of, there was a mixture. So uh, we did take COVID safety very seriously. Sure. Um, have a COVID compliance officer that was on staff for the duration of the production who um, made some recommendations. Uh, one of those was that we minimize the number of in-person interactions we had. So uh, part of the rehearsal process was done via Zoom. So kind of typical um, table work that you might do in your first few rehearsals for a, a normal production where everybody sits around and reads the script out loud and talks about characters and that kind of thing. Uh, we extended that out longer than we normally would have um, to do some of that extra character work before we met in person. Um, and then we actually rehearsed in, uh, at Mainstage Irving uh, by basically taking out the measurements of the space and then placing the furniture as it was placed at the Degalier house. Um, and our director, Michael Sarekia, um, directed the show and set the blocking up as though it was being uh, performed in theater in the round so audiences would be looking at it from all different angles, hoping that that would help the filming process later whenever we'd be shooting from different angles. Gotcha. So the uh, Trifle Dead, the movie, is premiering January 8th. And wherever you are listening to this podcast, I will put the links to watch it. The, uh, it will be a link to the Eisman Center and you get a 24-hour rental to stream it. Is that correct? On New Year's Eve, it's 24 hours. Every other night... Um... 
that they they have us on the list is 48 hours. So you can you can um, uh, purchase a ticket on Friday and watch it on Sunday if you'd prefer, or you can watch it Saturday at 3 a.m. So it's, oh, Jan it's, it's starting January 8th, right? January 8th, and it runs through the 24th on, at the Eisman Center. Fantastic. Via the Eisman via Center. Via the Eisman Center. Yeah. You have something else coming up. Tell me about a Pegasus smorgasbord, which we discussed beforehand, where <laughs> we're split on whether it's smorgasbord or smorgasborg. I'm going to go with board. Well, what we're doing is... Um, Originally, A Trifle Dead, the movie, was scheduled to open on December 31st. And because of uh, COVID complications, we had to skip six days of filming, which made the editing impossible to finish in time uh, for a truly finished piece. Would have been impossible. So instead, what we did was Barbara and I, Barbara Weinberger, the executive director, and my wife, sat down and went through several of the previous black and whites that we had on videotape uh, and pulled scenes from those black and whites. And then we narrate the evening uh, of clips from these shows by giving you some background information and behind the scenes information uh, to, to make it an interesting experience it's, it runs about an hour and a half, uh, and we're we're putting that in as a placeholder for our patrons, so that they're not left with without anything on New Year's Eve. Well, by calling it a placeholder, you make it sound like it's lesser than. I mean, that sounds like a Pegasus Theater um, time capsule almost. Because well, it is. It is, and and placeholder. Pegasus was Theater a retrospective. Choice. Yes. A retrospective, yes. Yes. And Kurt, the, the people who are watching the Pegasus Theater Smorgasbord, are they going to have access to the Trifle Dead uh, film without having to purchase a new ticket? Yes, absolutely. This Ooh, is great. this is a lanyap. Um and uh it's it is no charge for this. So if I go purchase a ticket right now to stream a Trifle Dead, the movie. You get the Smorgasbord as well. Ooh, a twofer. Yes. A double feature. A double feature. Just on different weekends. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, again, I will put the links to um, catch both of those wherever you are listening to this podcast. And now I want to get into your new board game. It's a game called Curtains. It features two of the black and white productions, A Trifle Dead and Death on Delivery. And to talk to us more about this and actually even walk us through it, I'm introducing now the game designer, Mr. Stephen Schwartz. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for, for having us. We're really excited about the season. And um, I thought I'd just do a quick show of the game, how it's played. Before that, I want to throw in a kind of surprise question for you. How do you get into being a game designer? Well, when I was very young, uh, a person by the name of uh, Sissy and Ray Robbins were my cousins, and they're the inventors of Uno. And so I said, if they can do it, I can do something too. So that's really what got me started in game designs. Sissy and Ray Robbins, my cousins. The inventors of Uno. Man, mm -hmm. it's a classic. Yeah, exactly. 
Very, very cool. Okay, so walk me through curtains. What, what does curtains entail? Sure. The, so the premise of the game is you step right into the role of a producer at the Pegasus Theater. You know, have you ever really wanted to be involved in a theater production in any capacity? Well, that's exactly what you get to do with curtains. And uh, the theme, obviously, is around the Pegasus Theater. So you you've, you manage all aspects of what a theater production is, and you can specialize in certain things or you cannot. So it's a I think with any good game, it takes the fun aspects of reality and makes it playable for everyone to enjoy. Would it actually really give someone, you think, a realistic idea of what it is like to be a theater producer? Well, I think so. I'm going to ask, yeah? I, I'm going to ask Alex that question. She's played it and so is Christian. What do you think, guys? Um, I think... I think you have, a, a, you get an idea of how many balls you're actually juggling um, and how much actually goes into a theater production. You can be like, okay, well, I've got, I've got a, a stellar cast and design team, but I don't have anyone to come see it. Mm -hmm. or, um, or, you know, your design's a little lackluster, but you've got a diehard audience or trying to, to coordinate with other people. The, the cool part about this game is it's, a combination of being cooperative and competitive. Um, so you're all kind of working to get either show uh, up and running, but you're all kind of worried about what your critics think or getting the best people for the best job and making sure that you get the credit for it. So you, there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes backstage work as well. And I think that's kind of one of the most fun aspects of this game. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate then because I've heard a lot of people say, what is a producer? Is that just the person who funds the show? Like the person who writes the check? And I, and I myself am not a theater producer. So I say, no, that's not who the producer is exactly. But what do they do? Well, they do a lot of stuff. They get the credit if it's good. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, so go ahead and walk us through the game. Show us. Sure. So uh, just to give you a quick tour, this is the online version of the game on Tabletopia. You can play that for free. And uh, the first few actions are, as Alex was saying, is hiring cast members uh, and crew members, uh, recruiting patrons, and trying to guess what your opponent's secret murder mystery plot is. So the second thing is getting good patrons. You get to see just how important those sponsors and, and patrons are by purchasing tickets. And once they sell enough tickets, then you can have your opening night, which is the real important part of the game, is have getting the opening night. Um, every producer has volunteers that they get to move to action spaces, and they have money, the budget that they get from hiring, getting patrons, and they can do advertising and fundraising and uh, promote and advance patrons to purchase tickets. And they can even, as we were mentioning earlier, almost like Clue, the game Clue, a mini game in a game, you have a secret murder mystery plot that you don't want revealed before opening night. So it's a lot of fun uh, trying to guess your opponent's secret murder mystery plot. And if you do, you get extra bonus points. And as Alex was mentioning, also there's theater critics. Uh, gosh, everyone's a critic these days. And they're out there, they're out there in, in, in all different flavors. So every player has their own um, theater critic that they have to manage. And so in this example, we have uh, Frank who is gonna be looking at the operations area and looking to make sure that it, you've hired the, the best 
cast and crew you can for that particular aspect of the, of the game. So that's in general uh, how the game plays, um, both online or in person if you purchase the game through the Game Crafter. How do I play it on online? I know, um, I definitely know I'm going to attach the links wherever you're listening to this podcast to play or purchase the game. How do I play it online? Yeah, it's real simple. You just go to tabletopia.com and in the search column, you type in curtains and it will appear and you can then um, just select um, uh, how many people you want to play. Uh, you can invite your friends. You can play from anywhere in the world. All you need is a browser and some time, and you can play curtains with your friends and family. So I know it's hard to predict right now for anybody what, what is coming next, whether it's what's coming next month, next year, next week, but tell me if you guys have anything on the horizon. This is, this episode's coming out December 31st, the very last episode of 2020. Are there any big announcements from Pegasus Theater? Any new shows for any of you personally? Any New Year's goals? Well, we have coming up in March, we hope, uh, a, a live, uh, a, a Radio Vision production of Death on Delivery. And when I say Radio Vision, that's um, where we, we have the actors in front of live mics, dressed in period style costuming, uh, and we have live sound effects. So we're recreating an old radio show in front of an audience. And that's why we call it Radio Vision, because it has both elements. Uh, then in April, we'll have our uh, new play festival, Fresh Reads. And then we hope in August to be able to present uh, a play that was originally scheduled for just this past August, but got knocked out by COVID. Um, called Noir Hamlet. And the best way to describe Noir Hamlet is to say there's nothing that can't be improved in Hamlet by having a gun and a dame. I love it. I love the mystery of just that little bit of a tease. Well, that that's it's so nice to even hear plans being made because, you know, we know something... Um, Something will change in, in the year 2021. We don't know how fast. We don't know what the timeline is, but we have to make plans and keep going on. So it's refreshing even just to hear things are on the horizon. Yes. What about for, what about for you, Alex? Um, actually, I, I have rehearsal right after this. Um, <laughs> I have a, uh, I'll be doing a radio play version of Dracula uh, totally seasonal, I know. <laughs> um, with the Open Space Arts Theater in Maryland. Um, oh. They, they've brought in voice actors from all over the country to uh, participate in this, myself included. And I'll be playing Van Helsing. Wow. Which is, which is great because my mom played Van Helsing in a stage version of Dracula. So it's No way. The family business now. Well, uh, go ahead and give give um, a shout out. Where um, when will this be? How can I listen? Um, to be honest, I don't have that information yet. Oh, okay, I put you on the spot. Um, but I will be glad to to forward that as soon as I get it. <laughs> sure, please do. Well, congrats on that. Thank you. And what about you, Christian? 
Um, I'll probably be sticking around at Pegasus and helping out um, wherever I can. You know, it's a, it's a coming together to kind of support projects uh, time right now with COVID going on um, and even going into this next year, uh, thinking about things like our, our March production, our radio vision um, personal pet project. I, I'd love to see that turn into a podcast and uh, make it something that's audio. And I know that that's a goal that we're kind of working on doing something like that. If it makes sense to do it this year, this will be the year that we start working on it. So it'll be a new medium to kind of tackle like we did with our uh, filming for this show. Yeah, fantastic. And Mr. Steven Schwartz. Well, I'm, I'm real excited about the upcoming season, the Death on Delivery, and uh, maybe doing some small adjustments for prepare for the next season with expansion packs. And um, I'm also working on a cool game, I think, that it involves younger kids. Uh, kind of think about Scrabble, but with words. And uh, the title's Birds and Words. So it, it's a, a fun game for younger kids to learn how to to do grammar uh, and spell words. So, oh, because Lord knows we could all use some help with grammar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. So, is it, is it smorgasbord or smorgasbord? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I'm keeping my sentences very simple. At the <laughs> eight, eight years old, so you won't see too many eight-year-olds saying smorgasbord. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Downstage Dallas. Once again, I am attaching links wherever you are listening to this podcast to stream a Pegasus Smorgasbord, a Trifle Dead the movie, and to purchase or play Curtains online. Thanks so much.